Maliki Clarkson, welcome to the General Spec Podcast. How are you keeping? I'm very well, TJ. Thanks for having me. Brilliant, brilliant. So, uh, pleasure to have you on, on the pod. Um, and a bit of a, a brief introduction to yourself, and then please fill in the gaps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Maliki, you're a sports journalist for the Irish Times. You're a regular contributor to the Second Captain's Podcast, Off the Ball, author author of uh, The Dubs, uh, Road to Sam McGuire, Lansdowne Road, The Stadium, The Matches in the Greatest Days. Uh, and last, by no means least, uh, you're a proud uh, Monaghan man. Hmm. Maliki, what, what else is on that list that should be there? Oh, what else is on that list? Uh, I, I did write one other book because uh, <laughs> it okay. was the one that the, that I spent most time on, but I was the ghostwriter on it. Uh, I ghostwrote uh, Ruby Walsh's uh, autobiography, Fado Fado, back in around 2010, which was just one of one of many very odd avenues that my uh, career went down that I could not have dreamed of it going down when I started out. Um, but no, that was it. That, that's it, yeah. Worked for the Irish Times, started off working for the Sunday Tribune, and sure, we'll, we'll fill in all the rest of it as we go. Brilliant. So going back to um, to Monaghan, what, what's, where in Monaghan is home for you? Uh, Monaghan Town. Uh, I uh, grew up uh, out uh, out the Kuta Road in Monaghan Town. Um, it was um, my parents are, are well, my mom's from Cavan, uh, and this is going to make her sound very uh, like like a very militant Cavan woman. But with, like right. all four of us, even though it was a perfectly serviceable hospital in Monaghan, uh, we were all born in Cavan Hospital. Right. Um, which I think, I think she just, I was the eldest, so she had me there. Uh, uh, and then just, just sort of gerrymandered the three that came after me and made them be born there as well. Um, so we are all uh, cabin people at the back of it, um, <laughs> much, much though we try to hide it. Um, but yeah, I uh, grew up in Monaghan, uh, went to St. McCartan's College in uh, Monaghan Town and then went to college in um, DIT in in, uh, in Dublin to do journalism by uh, kind of by accident, really, I suppose. Um, I was the, the absolutely typical um, teenage leave insert uh, student who hadn't a clue what he wanted to do with the rest of his life yeah but quite like school so uh, applied to be a primary school teacher to do oh. the to do the uh the course in saint pat's and drumcondra <laughs> which i actually live quite close to now and bring yeah. my bring my daughter to play uh under eight uh, football and camogie and um but i made a ball to the points um and so journalism was my second choice and uh that's how all this happened ah. and and going back then to like growing up where i mean you cover all sports yeah. so growing up was there uh were you mad interest in sport or were you yeah you multi- what was your interest levels or did you play much yeah sport was it really and uh, like i'm a very uh i, I was even just saying this to my wife this morning uh, we were talking about the evolution of people over a period of years. I'm more or less the same person as as I was when I was eight. Like, um, <laughs> I I basically build my life around what 
time I'm able to put aside to watch the amount of sport that will somehow satisfy <laughs> the, the endless craving to sit and watch sport. Um, and that's who I was as a child. Like, so I was born in 1978. Uh, so my first World Cup was the 86 World Cup. So basically, I fell in love with Maradona as a seven-year-old boy in the summer of 1986. Mm -hmm. And 1985, actually, the year before, won the world boxing title and so if you were a six slash seven year old boy in Monaghan in 1985 there was really only one hero to have and Barry was it uh, uh Monaghan also won an Ulster title that year and uh drew with Kerry in an All-Ireland semi-final uh and won the National League so that was my first ever trips to Croke Park so mm -hmm. So those were the formative years, I guess, like 85, 86. So you have you have Monaghan, you have Barry McGuigan and you have Maradona. And uh, in that sort of year, I, I, I guess that. Yeah. I would say. Um, and yeah, so sport was always it. You know, I, I it was the thing that I was most interested in. I was most uh, I was. I was quite quite terrible at playing most sports. Um, I was uh, I was the I was the guy who always sort of turned up to training um, and might get ten minutes at the end of a game kind of thing. I yeah. kept kept coming back for forever ever more punishment. I've got a very very clear memory of we had a brilliant uh, soccer team that I was part of and um, well a soccer club that I that I yeah. loved it was called uh, Oriel Celtic and it was based in Monaghan town and we had this amazing coach uh, this guy called Sean McCaffrey god love him he, is, he died a few years ago but he went on to coach the Ireland under 17s and under 19s you know in or around like he would have been it would mm. it was him that that brought Jack Grealish and Declan Rice into the Irish system right for the, when they were whatever 14 15 <laughs> Um, but way, way before that, in the early to mid nineties, he ran this this youth club called Oriel Celtic, and um, I loved it. Like soccer was my, I think, I think if you'd if I had to choose one back then, soccer was my game. Like it was the game yeah. that I that I loved most and watched most, and uh, really, really wanted to be good at. But I was just, I just wasn't. Like I was just, <laughs> I was too small, too slow, too cowardly. I was, I had no. I, I had no real, I had no real qualities whatsoever. But I remembered us doing a drill, and it wasn't, it wasn't Sean who said this to me. It was one of the his other coaches, or or as I as I see now now that I coach kids, one of the other dads really. Uh, yeah. Who um, we were doing a drill one time, and um, I can't remember what it was, but I said something um, uh, to. to it, it was basically something theoretical rather than uh, rather than, you know, uh, anything really to do with the drill. And the guy stopped and said, you know what, Mal, you'll never play for Man United. And now this was I was 10, like, well, I was, so you know, I was 10 <laughs> years old and he was telling me, you know what, Mal, you'll never play for Man United. 
And for years afterwards, my friends just slagged me relentlessly about this. <laughs> like, like I'll still yeah. run into friends of mine. Like, that's 35 years ago or 30 <laughs> years ago. And I'll still run into friends of mine from back then and go, you'll never play for Man United. But the thing that I always, that I remember about that exchange and that the, the rest of my friends don't and that the coach himself definitely wouldn't, was that the next line was, but you might coach them. Oh, and that was the that was the thing that I took away. With it. Yeah, <laughs> that it was um, that it was there was a place in the world for people who couldn't do the thing but could talk about the thing and could see the thing. And uh, I loved reading about sport and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I loved watching it. And that was basically who who I became, somebody who who couldn't really do it but could uh, could see it. And does uh, do you think that at all? You talked about you touched on the the CEO application and putting mm. teaching down first. Do you think that was a link there between those who what's that phrase? Those who can do. Yeah. Do you think was that was that played in your mind? As in you, you enjoyed kind of was teaching? Would you were you always thinking of that? And the journalism is kind of a, no, no. And, and it's funny. I've I've never actually made that connection now until you mentioned it i don't think so actually because i look back at the sort of 17 year old person that i was and i was just clueless really about the world and had no plan had no sense of you know the way you are when you're that age it's I didn't really have a sense of what was happening week to week, never mind month to month or any mm-hmm. way into the future. I had a brilliant part-time job at the time. Uh, I worked in a, in a hotel in Monaghan called The Four Seasons. And it was a really formative place for me. Like, it was a weekend job. It wasn't, you know, um, it, it, I was just a, a, a started off collecting glasses in the bar and then working behind the bar. But, I mean... I still have my sort of core group of, of friends from home now are the people who worked in that hotel with me. And we were really, I often marvel at it. We were really like for a crowd of guys and, and girls that were just thrown together. They just worked on a weekend, you know, yeah. <laughs> doing doing these huge weddings uh, from like big Tyrone weddings or big Derry weddings or big Armagh weddings that would happen. There'd be 400 people at these things. And they would just be, it would be Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, um, and all we were, we were just piss takers behind the bar. You know, we were just working for our own entertainment. But I often look back at that and go, you know, like if I, if I go through the people who, who worked in that bar at that time, like, Oh, like one of them, one of them's a professor of radiography in UCC now, and another one is a novelist, and another one yeah. is a Hollywood actress, and another what? one is <laughs> like we, went on, we. It was a really incredibly special group of people, and we had and we at the time all we knew was that we loved going to work, yeah. we loved going hanging out, and I think I knew on some level that. Like I was pretty decent at school, so I knew on some level that I, you know, I wasn't going to. And this obviously isn't to de- denigrate it because it's still the best job I ever had. 
but I I knew on some level that I wasn't going to work in the four seasons for the rest of my life, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that I was going to go to college and go and do something else. But I hadn't a rash as what it would be. But all that I knew that I wanted it to be was something where I would look forward to going to work. Yeah. And I think on some level that that out of sheer desperation, I enjoyed going to school and out of sheer desperation, I think I kind of went you know, a life going into school isn't so bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but I'd say that there might not have been a whole pile more to it than that mm-hmm. when you when I was filling in a CAO. And I've often thought since, how did I come to journalism as a second and third choice? Because I put down the DCU course as well. Yeah. Um, And I think it was purely, I liked reading. I liked sport. I liked writing. Like I liked English, you know. And, um, and that was it. Like, I, I've met so many journalists down the years across all sort of spectrums of journalism. And so many of them were, you know, wrote for their school magazine. I think I did as well. One of my friends sent me a, a WhatsApp one of the days. He dug out an old school magazine that I had written in. And I had no memory absolutely no memory of, of doing it to the point where down the years when people would have said uh, you you obviously you know I say you edited your school magazine and I was going I'm not actually sure I even wrote for it. <laughs> so it, 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 what I mean is I wasn't one of these kids who was mad into journalism yeah. who you know watched all the president's men who mm-hmm. had this sense of social justice and that journalism can change the world all of that sort of stuff that wasn't who i was in the slightest yeah. i was a kid who really loved sport who quite enjoyed writing and who liked reading and yeah. and, and that was that was what sent me very very indirectly into journalism excellent and you said then how um before you said before I started with the you went to DIC and yeah. um what was um you know moving from from on in town up to up to Dublin how did you find that move hey yeah it, it was it was odd it was very odd uh it was I I hesitate to say I lived a sheltered life but like uh I had been to Dublin you know, a few times for going back to Oriel Celtic, we had gone and played a few matches up in Dublin. Uh, we used to play home farm quite regularly, oh. uh, just literally right beside the Nafina pitch where where I now go three times a week with my daughter. I just look at that pitch and I go, oh, I remember, oh yeah, I remember playing there and getting absolutely skinned by some uh, home farm winger who couldn't couldn't believe uh, the luck he had to to have this uh, right back to feast on. Malachi, uh, do you know, I was I, when you were talking about your, your your playing ability, and I was going to ask you where I I imagined I thought you would be a fullback. Right? A hardy, uh, yeah. describe us. Yes, a fullback. Well, it, on the basis that you can sort of hide that fullback if the other guy isn't electric quick, you can cover off that space and at least put doubt into the uh, central midfielder's mind saying you know i could be the best right back you ever saw in your life you don't want to you don't want a chance playing the ball out to this lad uh, all, all it took then was one pass out to the lad and him beating me to the byline for them to realize all right well there's the 
there's the weak point. Let's uh, <laughs> let's keep going after him. Um, which is quite uh, you, you learn these things very very quickly when you're 14 years old. But anyway, you were asking about going to Dublin. Yes, I um I found it. What way did I find it? I turned 19 the week I started college. Uh, so my birthday's in September. So a week after that, I started uh, started college. And um, it was one of those things where I knew nobody. I, I Like, for my first sort of three weeks in Dublin, I was sleeping on the floor of, again, uh, a couple who were working in the Four Seasons uh, okay. on weekends. Like, that, those were my connections. Um, and... Uh, but something really interesting happened. And it, it, well, something that really interested me happened that within about three weeks of starting this course, and I, I'm, and I have to say, like I was still kind of going, I haven't really a clue what I want to do yeah. here, or what is what is the point. Um, and I do remember, I think there was like twenty five or twenty six people in our class, and a real mix of, okay exactly the people I was talking about, you know, who'd wanted to be journalists since they were 12, some of those. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some people who had kind of put it down on the page and but had fallen down three, four choices and were sitting there going, um, I wanted to do history in Trinity. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just people, it was a real mix of people and I think I took solace from the fact that I think I was absolutely intimidated going because I felt a bit of a fraud. You know, I felt, you know, this is journalism. Like, what what do I know about journalism? Like, we, we get the independent in the house. I know, I, I know what's in the sports section of the Irish independent. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the extent of the journalism. I know. I don't know anything about it, really. Um, but the thing that I've found and took solace from was that nobody else knew either Good. you know and that was great you know to sort of realize that you know everybody is 18 uh, there was a few there was a few um uh mature students and actually i kind of gravitated towards them and became really really good friends with a couple three or four mature students in in my class um and uh so they sort of knew what they were after but most of us hadn't a clue and most of us were out of um out of home for the first time trying to find our way around the city like i remember being in dublin for the first four or five months getting completely lost and now i laugh at it now i've lived in dublin for how long that was 1997 i've, I've lived in dublin for 26 years now mm -hmm. uh and i but i do think back to myself in those first like the, the late autumn of 1997 where I would be lost and it'd be somewhere like Thomas street or, you know, Christchurch or something like that. And I, 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 and I was very shy and afraid of asking anybody for directions or anything like that. And yeah. So I always just went and found the Liffey. That was my thing. Reference, that yeah. was my, that was my way. I'd always just keep walking uh, uh, until I could find the Liffey, and then I'd walk back up it to where where I, I needed to go. Um, did you go home? Did you go back? Were you still working the Four Seasons every weekends? weekend? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, every weekend, and um, 
Yeah, I did that for the whole of first year. Uh, went home, got the bus on on Friday, every weekend, worked the weekend, and then then came back Sunday night. And um, yeah, it, like it took a good bit of fitting in, you know. It got it took a good bit of of settling and uh, of realizing, like. I was up from the sticks, you know, I knew nothing about the world, you know, I knew nothing about, ah, like, I was so green, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, 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 like, my default setting was piss taking, <laughs> uh, because that's what I sort of grew up with in the, in, in the season, in the four seasons, and like, that was our, our friend group were, were just inveterate piss takers, and nothing was sacred, and I, I sort of took that with me and thought, yeah, the way I'm going to make friends here is just by slagging everybody. And like, you've kind of got to know people before you do that a little yeah. bit. And, you know, some of them, some people kind of went, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and others just kind of thought I was an asshole, you know. And, uh, and who is this dick who just keeps fucking slagging me? Like, I'm kind of going, oh, no, this, no, this is, this is, this is a sign of affection. This is this yeah. is Hawkins. But uh, but you settle and you find your way and you make friends and I did. I made I made great friends and by the summer of ninety eight, actually, um, I had decided to 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 stop going home. Uh, not to stop going home, but to stop going home to work. And I got a job. Um, I I, <laughs> I remember it. I got a job in the Mean Fiddler on Wexford Street. Um, which uh, is now called Opium, I think. It's gone through several changes in the years since, but it was the Mean Fiddler, and it was a great gig venue. Um, And it was in August 98, and the only reason I know... (laughs) People who are into sport understand um, how you can be good at keeping dates in your head. Yeah. Uh, I decided that I wouldn't get a job until the 1998 World Cup was finished. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so that I would be free to watch the 1998 World Cup. Yeah. And I did exactly that myself. And a friend of mine, uh, John, who I who's a friend of mine from college, um, we both sort of sat in his gaff in was it in Rathfarnham? Oh no, he was he lived actually he lived beside St Patrick's Cathedral, and we basically sat in his gaff for the whole of the summer <laughs> watching the 98 World Cup. And, and I, when it was over, I'll, I'll never forget. It. I was living in Rathfarnham at the time, in a share house, and on the uh, and I said, right, I need, I need to get a job here. And on the first night that I was working in the Maiden Fiddler, I actually walked from Rathfarnham to Camden Street, which is, you know, that's a walk. It, it, it's a proper. You know, you have to walk down through through Terradur and Harold's Cross and all the way in. And right. uh, I had to walk it because I didn't have the bus fare. And right. that was it. That that is the poorest I've ever been in my life. I literally didn't have whatever it was then, a euro or even a pound. It was nineteen ninety eight. I didn't have a pound to get the bus into town to go to work. And I knew I'd be getting like a, an envelope with whatever it was 40 quid in it at the at the end of the night and so that was it that uh, that was the i was august 1998 i had absolutely not a penny in my pocket but i um i had just decided that uh, that 
like my friends were, we were all of the same age and we were drifting away from Monaghan and some were in college in Galway and some mm -hmm. were in college in Belfast and some were gone abroad and it wasn't the same crack every weekend and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And then I do remember my sister kind of going at one stage, you know, you kind of like, you got to make your move. Like, so go on. And, and uh, so that was it. And I, I stayed in Dublin then and, and I've never worked anywhere else. Brilliant. The so then when you're in DIT, was there was there any kind of um like work placements or did you have to were you or was it at the end of your course did you get your first job or how did did you get any of that kind of stuff going on? No, well, I uh, I had a an extraordinary stroke of luck is the way I, I, I look at it. Uh, the Sunday Tribune, um, the dear old lamented Sunday Tribune, uh, folded in 2011. But between sort of 1990, we'll say, and 2011 when it closed, it was this brilliant place where loads and loads and loads of journalists got their start. And one of the things they did was they ran a, a competition, a sports writing competition. Um, it was named after uh, Peter Ball, who was their soccer correspondent, like, say during the 86 World Cup and, and Italia 90 and all this, uh, they had this chap, Peter Ball, who was their soccer writer. He wrote, he, he co-wrote uh, only a country, which is one of the great, great soccer books uh, okay. going back to the, to the late, uh, it's about being a sort of a, a journeyman pro in the 1960s. And Peter Ball wrote, wrote it with, uh, with Dunphy. And, um, but he died, I think in around 96, 97. And so the Tribune, I uh, did a, a sports writing competition in his honor and they ran it every year for I would say up until maybe even up until the place closed uh yeah it would have been well over a decade there that they ran it and I won it in 1999 yes I, I and it was you wrote a, a an 800 word piece and sent it in and um I've often asked in the years since, because I ended up, uh, when, when I ended up working there uh, in years later, I ended up having to to organise the, the Peter Ball and uh, a company. Uh, uh, you know, we, we were running out of bodies and there would be some years like there would be only like 20 entries or something like that. Okay. Uh, and so I... I often uh, have uh, have said, geez, there must have been very few entries the year that I won. Um, because I, well, I look back, I, I, wrote, I wrote this piece about, um, if it, when I think about it, like when it was about, you know, the sort of stuff that I wouldn't in a, in a dream, I wouldn't in a fit, I wouldn't write now, but it was about the national inferiority complex and you know how it was how it was um personified by our ireland soccer team who uh who were quite decent at the time but uh um were about to i think they were about to miss out on oh that was it they they were about to miss out on euro 2000 they got it they were in a playoff for euro 2000 yeah. even though they should have qualified anyway it's real studenty stuff basically you know really kind of opinionated really kind of you know just no real basis in in reality but also uh but i think there was a few decent turns of phrase in it and uh i yeah. won it. and um uh 
the the prize was okay. The, well, there was two prizes. One that I always joke that they still owe me for. Uh, you were supposed to get two weeks work experience, which they never actually gave me. They just actually made me start working. All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but far more importantly, at the time, um, the prize was five hundred pounds. Yeah. And uh, five hundred pounds in yeah. for a student in nineteen ninety nine was extraordinary money. Yeah, it was fantastic, and it was the week before Christmas that I got it as well. Oh. So it was fantastic. But um, the upshot was, I was in third year in college at this stage, and like completely, absolutely at this stage, totally focused on sports writing, sports journalism. I used to spend so like the the course itself wasn't great. Like it was fairly ramshackle we didn't have a journalism lecture for most of the first year and uh there was whoever was supposed to do it got ill and then they replaced them with somebody who wasn't really into it and there was a lot of communications theory and stuff like that in the course that you know that the only use it has ever been to me was maybe throwing out the odd name of a linguist if i'm watching university challenge (laughs) that's literally the only use it has been to me but um, but the one thing the course had was the campus was on Anger Street in Dublin, and it was this huge, uh, huge building, and we had the top floor of it for the communications department, which meant we had a big newsroom, and the internet, like like people will laugh at this now, but in late '97. You know, the internet wasn't really a thing. It was sort of coming. You're like everybody knew it was it was about to be a thing, but it, it was just that that little pregnant point at which you know the old world and the new world were, were meeting. Yeah. But by the time we came back for the '98 uh, semester, every computer and I think there was like 50 computers in our in our little journalism newsroom that we had sequestered away from the rest of the college. Every computer had the internet on it, mm-hmm. and so like. I just a world opened up to me um, and I used to just sit for hours and hours. You know, you do a bit of your, your coursework or whatever, but there was never any huge um, emphasis on it. Mm. But I would just sit reading stuff on this. The Sports Illustrated website had a fantastic archive. They were so far ahead of their time, but they had an archive of Sports Illustrated stuff going back 40 years. And I would just sit for hours and hours reading this stuff. And it would be about sports I didn't know and sports people I didn't know. But all the time I would just be learning, you know, how to construct articles, how to write intros, what works, what really engaged me. Because the way that I kind of looked at it was that, I know nothing about anything that I'm reading here because I wasn't big into NFL at the time. Definitely yeah. not baseball or basketball or anything like that. Um, like my sports at the time were soccer, Gaelic football, not hurling, um, bit of golf. That that that'd be the the breadth of my my sporting interest. It'd be you know I just wouldn't yeah. know enough about other sports at the time, and so it was. I was sitting there and just reading these things and realizing okay i'm i have read that article why did i read that article even though i knew nothing about the people yeah and so that was that was my college 
Do you know what I mean? Like that was what was yeah, self-taught. Uh, yeah, a little bit self-taught, you know, and a little bit just kind of going, all right, I love that. I'd love to do that. That mm-hmm. would be no, that's what I'd love to do, would be to really get into understanding how how you can make stuff readable, how like what works, but how how do you be funny? How do you be funny without being trivial? How do you mm-hmm. do it without turning the reader off? All that sort of stuff. And so by third year, I, I had won this competition and then halfway through, so early in January 2000, so I was still only halfway through third year. Um, but but I got this weekend, they, they Tribune basically gave me a weekend job. Um, so I would come in on a Friday and a Saturday and do like it was like functional little stuff in the sports section this was the great thing so you know uh on a saturday my job would be to take in the like the ail rugby results the ail was a big thing at the time in the 90s um and so uh, between sort of so the paper's deadline on a saturday was like say it was 6 p.m uh, so from half four until a quarter past five, my job would be to ring around all the rugby clubs and get the scores and scorers from all the AIL games and then do and then do up the table. Um, so like real nuts and bolts stuff. Absolutely, you know, no glamour to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But all the time you're sort of learning how how the flow of information works, how sport gets reported on, how what you pick up in the paper on a Sunday actually got there. Right, and yeah. uh, it was uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And it was, um, so that was basically it. Like I, I worked there on weekends. I gave up my mean fiddler job, worked there on weekends. And um over time, got to write a bit as well. I was I, they they were basically short a GAA writer, which is how if, if anybody ever wants to know how you get into journalism, it's that somebody leaves basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. somebody goes off to do something else, and a spot opens up. And um, so that's what I always say that the Peter Ball thing was was a was a, a real stroke of luck because I it got me into. I really think if I'd won a competition in some other type of place that wasn't just as as welcoming and as willing to take chances on young people, um, I would have struggled maybe to get into into journalism because a lot of what you have to do when you're starting off is to kind of hustle, you know, to kind of put yourself out there, to cold call, to do all that sort of stuff. And I'm I'd be good at I'm good at doing that now because uh, I'm 44. Um, when I was 20, I was terrible at that. <laughs> Genuinely terrible. Yeah. You know, it would, if I was writing an article and it, and a phone call needed to be made for it, I would sit looking at the phone for hours before I pick it up. Yeah. You know, I just hated it. I really, really hated that, that aspect of journalism. And I really had a because I was a I was a shy for all my kind of bluster, uh, you know, when, when where I think insulting people was was a way of making friends. Um, 
I was quite a shy dude. Like I was just not, I, I, I just wasn't good at, at ringing people out of the blue and saying, uh, Maliki Clark, I'm from the Sunday Tribune here. Would you mind talking to me for this article? Um, like I was just so terrible at that. And I'd say I was 25, 26, 27 before I became comfortable with it. You know, I just wasn't wasn't good at it. So anyway, that's a long roundabout way of telling you that um, I landed in a place that was amazing. And it was genuinely amazing, the Sunday Tribune. Um, because you were just, you were given, not free reign, but you were given reign to go and make mistakes, to go and learn your trade uh, as a very young kid. Like, as I say, I was... I was 21 uh, and I was out, I was going to press nights for the GA. That's what, sorry, I meant to say that, yeah, they were short a GA writer. And so I got to do GA articles through that summer of 2000. And it was the summer where um, I think Armagh made an All-Ireland semi-final and Galway and Kerry made the, I think they drew an All-Ireland final. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And uh they drew an all-iron final, played a replay, and then there was an Aussie rules game the next day. And some of the some of the like Seamus Moynihan and maybe Michael Donlan were were played in the in the Aussie rules game. Bloody hell, right? Remember yeah. that, right? But it was you know, and and like I was to talk about like by this stage I was all in. I was you know the uh, the 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 lad who had put journalism down uh, as a fail safe without ever really knowing what it was about, was now a complete zealot about sports journalism. A total sports journalism bore, you know. I would just, uh, I started collecting all these compendiums of sports writing, all that kind of stuff. And um, to the point where, actually, I loved that summer, that summer of 2000, I got so much work in the Tribune that at the end of it, coming into August or whatever, I went to my boss, um, the sports editor, and said, "Listen, um, I don't, I don't want to go back to college here. Like, I, I have one year of college left, but like, I don't really see that, that there's any point. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, so, well, you know, what am I going back to do? Like, like the college, oh, college will just be getting in the way of the work that I'm doing here." And in fairness to him, he's a guy called Mark Jones, um, uh, who I'm still very, very friendly with. And he said, uh, I am not having your father come to the door of this office and <laughs> ask me why his kid is dropping out of college. Go and do your final year of college and there'll be a job here for you when you're done. And um, sure. that was it. It was great. I kept everyone. And were you, did you stay with the Tribune until exposure? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was, ah, uh, geez, I, I nearly get teary talking about it. Like it was this wonderful place to work. It really, really was a wonderful place to work. Um, it, I, I mean, I met my wife there. Uh, she was, uh, she was the news editor. Um, and we uh, began a surreptitious uh, relationship, uh, or what we thought was surreptitious. But uh, by the end, by the end, I think we were the. 24th Tribune wedding in the no way. I think so. Oh. We got, we literally, we got, mar- we were definitely the last one because we got married in October 2011 and the Tribune had folded in February 2011. Um, 
but it was it was just a wonderful place it really was you could you, as i say you could make your mistakes but you also learned how to be good like you really learned what works you really were around people who were very collegiate uh very uh, interested in doing good work um we replaced that it never had any money um it was always it was the threat of it closing was always hanging over yeah. over the place. Mostly, I think the the independent group, as they were at the time, owned a big portion of it, uh, and kept it alive in an in order to keep the Sunday Times from cornering the Sunday market or or threatening the Sunday Independent. Um, and we all knew that, so we all knew that it was always you know liable to go through the floor at any given stage. Um, but because of that, you know, you, you had to be smarter, you had to be more nimble, you weren't able, to, you didn't have the big budgets to do uh, a lot of things that, that other places could do. Um, but you could still do great stuff like and 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 I, I had a great I like I had a great mentor there uh, in uh, Paul Howard, who, yeah. you know, went off to become a, a very famous writer then afterwards. Uh, but Basically, for for the first five six years uh, in the Tribune, he was just my kind of go to, my sounding board. He would get, he was a brilliant, brilliant ideas man. He he would that was the part of journalism that I always struggled with and still do. I still really, I always say this about Paul. Um, I don't envy his success in the slightest. I don't envy all the money he's made out of making books and i don't envy his his talent even uh because he's an incredibly talented writer uh the only thing i've ever really envied about him is he's an ideas machine and journalism lives by ideas if you can come up with an idea that other people don't have mm -hmm. then 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 you're halfway towards towards the uh, the output and um I never forget it. Actually, we went to Brian Kerr was uh, announced as the Ireland manager. This is what what year was that? Was that two thousand three? Three early two thousand and three. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because McCarthy got uh, or four. This, 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 yeah, no, this yeah. game was was two thousand and two after the World Cup, of course, after Saipan. So Brian Kerr got the job in early two thousand and three, and he had this. Um, there was this press conference uh, to announce him, and it was in the Mansion House, if I'm right. I think it was in the mansion house and it was this huge uh huge event uh and um there was lo i remember there being loads of goodwill around at the time and i remember it being on a tuesday and the, 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 that that's good that's important for this story and it was on a tuesday so myself and paul went around to it paul was the chief sports writer of the tribune at the time and so he was you know, he would be writing the big piece for Sunday about Brian Kerr taking over. And in the course of this thing went on for like an hour and a half and it was a big celebration, I remember. And uh, somewhere in in along, in the, in the thousands upon thousands of words that were spoken that day, um, Kerr said a line somewhere along the way that he had been coaching since he took the Crumlin under-12s in whatever year blah 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 blah, and it was a throwaway line total yeah. throwaway line it was nothing 
So we were walking back and they walked from the Shelburne or not the Shelburne, the, the mansion house to the Tribune office on Baggett Street is like it's a 10 minute walk if you're going slow. Like if you if you want to do it in a hurry, you can do it in four, you know. In the space of that walk, Paul Paul was going, right, what do we do for Sunday? What do we do for Sunday? And I was I was <laughs> this was a great lesson that I took from it. He had spent the press conference, you know like like the terminator you know kind of scanning everything that was being said for ideas yeah. for what could be done i was completely caught up in the moment completely uh -huh. going jesus christ because i was whatever i was i was 24 or whatever i was going what what a great life i have look at mm -hmm. what i'm doing on a tuesday i'm i'm here at the very heart of irish football god if you had told me this when i was 15 what like what an amazing thing and i was completely just taken out i wasn't i wasn't thinking about the weekend at all at all yeah, at all living in the moment you, yeah just completely going this is great like this is this is the life you know uh whereas paul was just going right what do we do out of this okay everybody's going to do this tomorrow we're a sunday paper we need a different angle what way will we do it and he's as we walked back he said you should go and find that under 12 team, that Crumlin under 12 team. Uh -huh. And I went, oh, geez, I hadn't thought of that. He yeah. says, look, those guys are probably, let's say they're, they're whatever age they are now, they're in their 50s. They're sitting there this week. They've seen Brian Kerr mention their team on the, on the news. They'd be delighted to talk to you. Go and find three of them. And I went, okay, I'll do that. And I did, and and I'm like I'm sure I, but I was going. I wouldn't have, I have a clue. How will I find the Crumlin under twelve team of whatever year it was, nineteen seventy four or whatever? Um, but I did. I went and found them, and I wrote a piece, and it was a nice piece. And as Paul said, they were only delighted to talk to me, and yeah. had loads of memories. And one of them found an old photo, and we were able to put that in, and all that sort of stuff, and. And I and I've kept that. That's I, I'm actually I'm looking at the. <laughs> I'm trying to think. That is literally twenty years ago, and mm -hmm. it has. I think about it. I'd say once a month, um, when I'm trying to come up with ideas, because it to to Paul that's just how his brain worked, right? There's a small throwaway line. Hopefully nobody else heard it. Let's go and do that. What would uh, Paul do? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Jesus Christ. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. When, when there's a big game on, uh, find, find, a, find a small thing that nobody else has thought of. Because everything, and that was the thing with a Sunday paper. By the time the paper came out on Sunday, like when you think about it, care had been covered for five days at that time. What's going to be fresh? What's going to be different? How could we do, what can we do that nobody else is doing? And that was the way he thought, and it was a brilliant, brilliant lesson. And that was that's what I mean. The Tribune was just full of people like that and full of and full of, you know, that can kind of can do attitude. Like you come back and you'd say, Here, listen, I think I'm gonna find that under 12 team. There's not gonna be a lot of news in it. And they just went, Oh no, that's really good. That's really mm -hmm. interesting. Go and do that. You know, because people's lives can go anywhere. And I think that's what I realized about sports writing as well uh, from things like that is that essentially what you have to realize is that you're only writing about people. You think you're writing about sport, but you're writing about people and that everybody's life is interesting if you sit with them 
and get them to tell you about it. Uh, and like I'd say, like that's that's basically the basis of your podcast. Everybody's life has there's this great uh, I think it's Hemingway line that uh, I think it's every man's life truly told is a novel. I, I think I'm bastardizing yeah. that. I don't think Sounds that's exactly, yeah. Yeah. but it's something along those lines. Yeah. And um, and I think that's what I learned most of all uh, through the Tribune years is that even if you're writing about sport, what you're really writing about is how people respond. Um, and once you are able to understand that and once you're able to find the interest in people and tell interesting stories, that's then you're getting there. Brilliant. Well, like that, that was uh, very interesting. And speaking of novels, around, mm. well, coming towards the end of the time of the Tribune, it was kind of when you released those um, books on Ruby Walsh, mm. Lansdowne Road and and uh, and the Dub Team. What mm. would, um, how did those come about? And did you, was it always something that you wanted to do or how did that, those opportunities arise? Yeah, they were interesting uh, ones. They're all, they, all three were, were completely different. And, and actually, <laughs> speak of completely different times in my life, although I did them in a, in a sort of a two or three year period. Um, by the late 2000s, I had become the chief sports writer of the Tribune. Paul had gone off uh, to write the Ross books full time. Um, and um, the Tribune being the kind of place that it was, you they sort of, they didn't have money to go and get a big name to replace him and and I remember the sports editor at the time uh, a chap called PJ Cunningham um, said uh, you're ready to do it and I went what are you talking about no I'm not what are you I'm 26 I've I have no sense of how to be a chief sports writer and he went no well we're, we can't get anybody else it's going to be you so there you go and so like on one level, I was just completely intimidated by it. But on another level, I was going like I couldn't believe my luck. You know, I just couldn't believe that this was I was in. I didn't want to work anywhere else. I just loved the Tribune so much. And I didn't want chief sports writer is all I wanted to be, you know, by that stage. I just wanted to be the guy who went to all the different sporting events, who wrote about loads of different sports. And I had I had branched out my sort of sporting knowledge uh, again because uh, the Tribune just kind of sent you to things like they sent me to Cheltenham in 2004. And when I tell you that I didn't know the front end of a horse from the back of one the year I went to Cheltenham, I'm not overstating it in the slightest. <laughs> the Cheltenham Festival 2004 was my first time ever being at a horse race or a horse race meeting. Like I was just, it was not a sport that I was into growing up. It was not, it even like, even Cheltenham never really interested me. Betting never really interested me. Uh, I'd have a, I'd have a fiver each way on the Grand National and that would be the height of it. Um, but I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing about racing. Um, but again, by this point, I had had that creeping realization that if, that, you don't necessarily need to know about these sports. You just need to be interested in people. Mm -hmm. And so like the big story at the 04, I get, I will get around to the books in a second, but the, this is all context. The big yeah. story at the 04 Cheltenham meeting was that this horse best mate was, was going to win three, three Cheltenham gold cups in a row. 
And it had the, the horse of this trainer, Henrietta Knight, who was this kind of dotty old English village uh, school teacher type person. Like she was like something out of Evelyn Wall, you know, she was just this, she was in her 60s. She was this terribly well-spoken woman from the English Shires. And she was married to this ex-jockey, this guy called Terry Biddlecombe, who had been this really kind of rabble rousing jockey in the 70s hard drinking real kind of but but like a big winner and all this sort of stuff so he's he was they made this hilarious couple and i remember going over to interview them in oxfordshire before um before cheltenham and really just kind of sitting there and going i don't know an awful lot about racing uh but you two seem very interesting and laying it out like that and spending yeah. an hour with them and writing a piece. And it was great. And so that was what I was doing. And I was, and one of the things that we did in the Tribune, if we spin the tape on then sort of 07, 08, uh, we got Ruby Walsh to come and write for us. And when I say come and write for us, I ghost wrote his column. Okay. And he would write it week on week. And Jockey's columns had always been, you know, I think this will win the 240. I think this will win the blah, blah, blah. Good for and betting, I suppose, yeah. They were Not all more. focused around betting, but I had, I had no particular interest in betting. And I remember saying this to Ruby, I was saying, but, but like, I'm interested in racing. I'm interested in race riding. I know nothing about what makes a good jockey. I know nothing about what makes a good trainer. And I suspect a lot of the sporting public don't know either because racing is quite a closed off sport. They kind of talk to themselves an awful lot. Um, and so we did this column about racing life, basically, and it was uh, it, got, it got great traction. And it was purely me being a dumb uh, journalist, no saying no question is too stupid here. Uh, bear with me as I ask them, and mm -hmm. Ruby would answer. Ruby is a brilliant. Ruby's a fantastic um, TV pundit now. And I'd, I would have him down as maybe the best TV pundit in all of sport because he is a magnificent communicator. Yeah. He is really good at telling people what the ins and outs of racing are. And so if you spin the tape on then a few more years, uh, Ruby got an offer to do his autobiography and he asked me to do it for him. And at that point, I was already involved in doing a book uh, doing the Lansdowne Road book. Lansdowne Road was closing to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And um, Jer Siggins, who was another mentor of mine in the Tribune, um, had, uh, him and Paul Howard had basically been saying for years, we should do a book on Lansdowne Road. There's so many stories around it, we should do it. Um, and uh, <laughs> Paul went off to do his Ross books and became way, 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 way too busy. And I'll never forget it, Jer kind of uh, passing my desk in the Tribune one of the days going, here, listen, how we, do, how we can't do that book anymore, will you do it? And I kind of went, uh, okay. <laughs> and he went, yeah, there's going to be no money in it. I went, fine. And he went, but it'll be a bit of crack. And I went, brand? <laughs> and that's literally how it came about. Um, Jer was just this other guy that I, like, he was a kind of a father figure to me. Um, he was this amazing sports historian. He had been the Tribune sports editor in the 80s when he had, like, Paul Kimmage and David Walsh and Paul Howard and Dennis Walsh and Dave Hannigan and all these all these amazing sports writers 
all writing in the same section every week. Um, so he was just, he knew, and and he was, but he lives actually lived right beside Lansdowne Road and wanted to do a, a history of it. So we, so we did that. Uh, and literally as I was in the middle of that, Ruby rang me and said, uh, will you do this with me? And I kind of went, if it had been anybody else in the world, literally anybody else in the world, I would have said no. Yeah. Um, but Ruby was too interesting and we were friendly uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that. Like he was, cause he was going to be, that book was going to sell really well. Not that the sales didn't really matter to me, but there was going to be a huge audience for it in England uh, as well as in Ireland. And so I, I said, uh, yeah, so I did that and I, I'll never forget it. I remember writing the last word of the Lansdowne book and <laughs> I finished it uh, hit send I went I, I, and I remember doing it in the Tribune office mm -hmm. um, on a Monday just for a change of scenery and I hit send I went out and got a sandwich came back and ate the sandwich and started the Ruby book Right. I honest to God, yeah. there was a, there was twenty five minutes between me finishing one book and starting the next one. Wow! <laughs> and my then uh, so that was it for the next sort of whatever that that was in the next sort of eight nine months of my life. And then when it when it was over, my then then fiance and now wife was basically going, "Yeah, you won't be doing that again for a while." And I went, "No, I won't. I won't be doing that again for a while." Um, and the Dubs book came about the following year, like so. That's like twenty ten ish. Uh, the those two books did did reasonably well. Well, I say they did reasonably well. They were well received. I I still get a, a, a we got a I got a thousand euro advance from O'Brien Press for the Lansdowne book, mm -hmm. uh, and I think I still owe them money from it. Uh, I I don't think the sales were that amazing on it. Uh, um, but the the Ruby book did did pretty well. And at the end of twenty ten. Both of them made the shortlist for sports book of the year, mm -hmm. uh, which I was just overjoyed about. Like, you know, I just couldn't. It, it was just more than I could have ever imagined. Um, so that's the end of 2010. And then at the start of 2011, the Tribune went to the wall. And so I was freelancing. I was scrabbling around for months, not really knowing what work I was going to get, what to do next. And um, Penguin... Um, books uh, had had this sort of long running understanding with the info photography agency that if and when Dublin finally won in all Ireland and like bear in mind they hadn't won, won since 1995 at this point yeah. but if and when they won one info would put out a, a, a photo book a, basically a, a glorified photo uh, photo book sports photo book um, and they asked me, would I write the, um, would I write the, the words for it? Uh, mm -hmm. But the problem was that it was going to be the ultimate rush job that uh, if they couldn't say yes until Dublin won. Yeah. But if Dublin won, the book had to be finished within 10 days. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So literally uh, Stephen Cluxton's, free splits the post in Croke Park. I was there, I was working, doing some work for the Irish Times at this point. And so uh, I, I did 
whatever reporting I had to do for the Irish Times. And then I went home and I wrote, I think, 13,000 words in basically a week. Um, I had some of it ready and some of it broadly sketched out and I knew what I needed to write, but I, yeah. but I, I, but I still basically had to plant my ass in the chair and write. And there, like ordinarily, you know, had I still been at the Tribune, I obviously wouldn't have done it. Or even in year later years, would I, if I was uh, in an established job, like as I became in the Times, I, I don't think I would have subjected myself to that. But it was um an interesting thing to do first of all uh like i really like penguin books and i'd worked with info for years in the tribune but um it was also something that like very very frankly uh we had a wedding coming up the following month <laughs> Our, uh, yeah. we, got we got married in in october this was september and uh as uh, as michael mclaughlin from penguin books said to me at the time well sure look this will pay for the band anyway and and, and it did. Well, hope you're enjoying this episode with Malik Clerkin. If you are, please consider giving the podcast five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. Back to Mal. Then, talking on this with modern modern media uh, and, and the work that you're involved in as well with the, with like the second captains, how... You know how how have you seen that change in how people consume media, um, and 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 the let's call it explosion in uh, podcasts and 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 YouTube and stuff like that. Um, I mean, you're on it quite a lot on mm. very on say off the ball and set captains. It must be something you you enjoy, or or is it? <laughs> I do to an extent. I've known the off the ball lads since they were in News Talk. Um and became friendly with them uh sorry the second captain's lads or the or the off-ball guys sorry. no they are the sorry the second captain's lads yes oh, they, yeah. they, they so they started a news talk yeah in the sort of mid 2000s uh and uh so i've known them since then and so that like that particular podcast is just like kind of hanging out with me it's really uh for me i quite i i enjoy it i enjoy it I really admire them. I really, um, I, I think what they've done had never been done before, which is, you know, just extraordinary really to sort of set out amongst themselves and make a go of it. So I really like doing that. Um, I don't particularly like, yeah, I'm not, I, I like, do I like, to, I don't really like doing podcasts, which sounds stupid. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not that I don't like them. I just like writing more. Yeah, uh, I find myself uh, when I sit down to write an article, I find myself more in control uh, of what I need to say. I have got myself into a few stupid uh, situations with podcasts uh, over the years uh, where I just start talking. And anybody who has made it this far uh, in, in your podcast will realize that my, that it's kind of stream of consciousness when I start talking. <laughs> and, I, and I can often drift off into one tangent or another. I can get, uh, I, I can lose, I, I can sometimes just not be as careful as I would be when I'm writing. When I write something, this, the thing that appears on the page or on screen 
um, um, and that's just not the same with podcasts. We did um, the Irish Times. We did a, a, a sports podcast for a while pre-COVID, about eight, for about eighteen months pre-COVID. COVID killed it off, and because I've done quite a bit of radio and podcasting over the years. Uh, you know, I ended up having to present it and produce it. And it was just a pain, really. Uh, I, I I, just didn't really enjoy it um, uh, because it's not, not my natural thing. But at the same time, I also realized, and I've re- I realized this an awful long time ago, um, it's an indulgence to say that you're just a writer. Um, you can't do that. Uh, if you want to still be relevant, if you want to, you know, keep um, some sort of foothold in the media landscape, um, you know, it's just not good enough to say I don't enjoy doing that. You know, I, 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 I I'm, I'm, I just want to be a writer. You know, you have to be more. Yeah. And we all have to be more. And I need to do more. I need to do more podcasting. I need to try and my, my social media stuff isn't great like it's fine I, I have a fair amount of twitter followers but i don't really know how relevant that is or how it's certainly going to be less and less relevant as the years go forward mm-hmm. uh, i'm only marginally on instagram i'm not on tiktok at all uh, and part of me goes well you know mal you're 44 what, what the fuck would you be doing on tiktok anyway but the other part of me is going well like that's stupid like that that's that's sort of who who am i to go that i'm i'm you know to be to be sniffy about tiktok or whatever else comes after it um i think you have to be nimble i think you have to be you have to meet the audience where they are in that which is a which is a phrase that that knocks around quite a bit um you know my ideal like my ideal of my working life is spending, you know, a few weeks researching, interviewing and writing an article and sitting down and taking three days to write something that's three and a half thousand words long. But, you know, again, that's a bit of an indulgence. Mm-hmm. Like it's the sort of thing that you can do maybe three times a year. But the but the job isn't that, you know, it's because who's going to read it? consumer you yeah know, yeah you know yeah. uh people will read them in once offs they you know i did a i did a piece with the parents of red oak murphy the mm-hmm. sligo footballer who died yeah. by suicide last year and you know that took me 3 4 months of organizing and and writing and all that sort of stuff um and it was great and it got great traction and you know, we got a great response to it and it made a difference and it's really fulfilling work. You know, it's really the sort of stuff that I that I really love doing, but you can't do it every week. You know, yeah. you can't even do it every month. You can do a couple of them a year, you know, and but the rest of the stuff, the rest of the stuff has to be like I, I, I have no I under I really do understand this, that it's not good enough to just go. Well, there's Red Oak. Um, now that's my that's my work done for the next few months. Like that's not the way the, it's not the way it works. So like, I'm always very conscious of doing more podcasts, doing finding other ways, finding ways to improve digital output, all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
and it's uh, I find it fascinating. I really, I really do find it fascinating. I'm not, I'm not on any level one of uh, a, a, like a like an old fogey or somebody who sort of takes a dim view of you know the relentless passage of time and and the evolution of the media and all that sort of stuff. I find the evolution of the media completely fascinating, um, and I. I, but I still think that when you, it comes right, right down to it, the lesson that Paul Howard told me 20 years ago stands. You know, tell people stories. Find a different way to tell them, but tell people stories. Tell them in an interesting way. Tell the stories that people haven't thought of and you'll be fine. Well, if you've gotten this far on the podcast you may know someone else who would enjoy it so please do share it around i'm also active on instagram and twitter channels back podcast so give me a follow there as well Maliki, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um yeah it's just, just to wrap to last last word to yourself is there anything any other topics or anything else you want to or how you want to finish on Oh, that's good. I think I've wrapped it on for for far too long. I I, pres- I presume you'll have to uh, edit uh, huge portions of that out just just no. so people don't just so people don't fall asleep. <laughs> no, like I, it's funny when you got on to me and asked me to do this. I was kind of going, ah, jeez, I don't know. Um, but the more I I I I, I, did, I the reason I said yes was that um, I uh, I'm an incredibly optimistic person. I'm a very I'm a very positive guy and i do re i do sometimes pinch myself a little at how lucky i am that i ended up in this job because i have so i know so many people who hate not that they hate their job but that they do their job and that they it's not it's not and any time thinking about outside of their working hours that it's a gig it's the it's what they do to pay the mortgage and um, I am incredibly lucky that I that I found this niche for myself. I never really want any other. I no, there's no really about it. I don't want any other job. I don't want to do anything else. And, and I, I can't imagine I ever will want to do anything else. That I I spend an awful lot of my spare time thinking about how to get better at it um, when I go for a run or when I'm driving or whatever. And the times that I don't think about it are the times that I'm with my family or the times that I'm with friends and whatever. But uh, I do often sort of go, Jesus, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't take that lightly at all. Like if, if you had told the 19 sort of slash 20 year old student sitting reading Sports Illustrated late at night in the DIT newsroom, that this is where I would be at 44. I mean, I could, I wouldn't have believed it, it could have gone that well, you know. Uh, and I don't say say that just to kind of, <laughs> I'm even in my head, I'm going, I just shut the fuck up, man. People, <laughs> people don't need to hear that. But but my, the, sorry, the, the, the point I'm making is that uh, so few it's not that so few people get to 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 enjoy what they do but i i understand how lucky i am and um 
that was why when when you asked me to do it, I said I won't, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. But that uh, that I I do feel very very lucky. I I, I really enjoy my life. Mark, you know, I'm delighted you did, and uh, thanks again for for recording it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll close there, Malachi, and pleasure Excellent. talking to you. Brilliant. Best of luck, TJ. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you.